Talking with you. The student's point of view. We are here to talk. We are here to ask. We are here to learn. This is a content warning. Please bear in mind that we mention types of violence and discrimination against women, as well as homophobia and transphobia during the course of this episode. Don't worry, we don't go into much details, but if you're uncomfortable with these kind of things, you may want to avoid the episode or listen to it in a safe environment. Please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. We have listed in the description a number of organizations in Belgium that can help in such situations. So, with that in mind, we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to our new episode of Talking With You, a podcast where the student's point of view matters. This show looks to extend the conversation of the topics discussed at the podcast of the Institut d'Etudes Européennes to the students, for the students, and by the students. And at the same time, it seeks to give the students an open and safe space to discuss the topics that concern us the most. My name is Paulina. And my name is Martina, and we will be your hosts for today. We are very excited because today we are going to talk about a topic that is very, very dear to us, which is gender equality. In fact, today we will be talking about women's rights, LGBT community, feminist and anti-feminist movements. Yes, actually, we're very happy to do these episodes, personally, because I think this topic directly impacts our lives on an everyday basis, and if I may say, on an everywhere basis. But well, to start, please welcome our two special guests of today. From SAIES, we have Alba San Juan Morales. Hola. And from ISOM Europe, we have Joris Wallon. Hello. Thanks a lot for joining us. And if you allow me, I would like to break the ice right away and open the floor with a quote from the great Jane Fonda, who recently said in an interview that for her, feminism is uh, not gender specific, is something that has nothing to do with women or men. And it has to do with a set of values, a worldview and a way of living that assumes that every human being, no matter what gender, has the right to opportunity, chances, equalities and fairness. And she adds that feminism means democracy and to be honest I have to say that I feel very much represented by this view and I would like to know what you think about that Paulina. Honestly I love it this is really deep really beautiful and I agree I think indeed gender is a concept that is so broad and has been defined in so many ways over the last years. It has also been the object of so many disputes concerns issues endless discussions and so much more. I believe that the movement of feminism that has gained so so much power in the last couple of years has responded to the need to define exactly this disjunctive towards definition of gender. So what do you think about this, Alba, if you let me go first with you? What does feminism mean to you? What does it have to do with gender equality, in your opinion? Hi, thank you very much. So for me, feminism is the way I see life. I believe that everyone in society should have the same rights and opportunities regardless of their gender. For me also feminism must be intersectional, meaning that it needs to be focused on how people experience different kinds of oppression and discrimination based on their identities. Also, it is important to take into account that these systems of oppression are interrelated and that these inequalities can be based in race, gender, sexuality, class, religion, disability or immigrant status. Oh, this is so nice. I'm very happy that you mentioned intersectionality because it's very important mm -hmm. to re remember that feminism should be intersectional. Mm -hmm, indeed. And concerning your second question, Paulina, in my opinion, they are both related in the sense that feminism is a way to achieve gender equality. Regardless of gender identity, everyone should have the same rights and opportunities in society and no one should suffer discrimination based on it. 
However, although there has been a lot of progress, for instance, the gender gap remains, women are generally underrepresented in positions of power, and there has been still a big problem with gender-based violence. Also, sexism and misogynist attitudes are very present in our everyday lives too. So yeah, I think there's still a lot to do. Also, in addition, sadly, we're witnessing a rising movements that oppose gender equality, not only so globally, but even within the European Union. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, it is true, and I couldn't agree more. No one, no one, no matter based on what should be discriminated. Also, there are groups of people who are trying to undermine the rights and freedoms of women, the LGBTQ plus community, immigrants and other minorities. We can see these effects in the case of the first two, with the restrictive laws on abortion in Poland, or the LGBTQ plus free zones, the ban on same-sex marriage that still exists in various member states, etc. So in my opinion, I believe that we need to take this situation very seriously and act on it in order to stop this backsliding in our rights. Also, far-right populist parties, the Catholic Church and other conservative actors have been promoting anti-gender discourses. And this is very sad to witness. And as again, our society is progressing a lot in terms of achieving equality. So yeah, I think that this really poses a threat in this path. Well, I couldn't agree more. I'm Italian, so you are not mentioning anything new to me, unfortunately. And what about you, Joris? What do you think about that? Yes, thank you very much for the very interesting question. I will go the same way uh, as Alba here. I think that feminism is extremely important in our societies. The issue of gender equality, as well as equal rights and opportunities, is central on how we are able collectively to evolve and build a more caring and inclusive society. Mm -hmm. I do also join Alba on the need to view feminism from an intersectional point of view, since identities are interlinked and deep social factors that are, in my opinion, constructed through life and through time, as well as through social interaction. It is important to address issues such as feminism and any other type of inequalities or asymmetric social dynamics in a holistic way, in my opinion. To me, This is the key to be able to understand the social, political, economic, but also symbolic situations of the different identities that are exercised in our societies. And this is a first step to provide answers, solutions to the systemic problems that these people are facing. I completely agree. And if I, if I may go further, when we're talking about feminism more precisely, Alba already underlined that the road is still really long to achieve uh, gender equality. And if it's true that progresses have been made, can we satisfy ourselves until effective equality is reached in a future where women do have the same opportunities, social situation, rights and safety as men? Exactly, that's the goal. I think we can only call ourselves winner of the situation when we have achieved that. And even when we achieve that, we should be very careful because it's not something that we should take for granted. But I guess that we always have to struggle to maintain this progress and always work through that. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't agree more here. Uh, and I think that sadly, the political discourse is at a crossroad in Europe right now. We see and we have no consensus on keeping strong political initiatives to lead the way towards gender equality and equality in general. Even more worryingly, we see groups that are intensively lobbying and advocating to come back on historic rights gained by women, by LGBTQ plus people, by immigrants and other communities. And I think that's really worrying. I also think that these threats to the rights for people to live their way and to enjoy the same opportunities should be strongly addressed and that action should be taken in order to counteract the spread and the appeal of the anti-gender and traditional narrative. 
Actually, that's very interesting what you just mentioned. It makes me think of, of some of the ideas that, that were presented by Professor David Partenot in the last episode of Making Sense of EU, where we explain specifically that some of the discourses by policymakers on gender were molded according to their political interests. And that sadly, this thematic has been used as a tool to gain votes and followers. And I said sadly, because I think some of the importance of this movement can get lost in this power struggle. Well, actually, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. We have these feelings that sometimes it's still very long way to go, but fortunately it's not all bad news and let me tell you why. As some of you may know, on May 10th, the European Parliament voted by an overwhelming majority in favor of the accession of the European Union to the Council of Europe's Istanbul Convention on Preventing and Combating Violence Against Women. And uh, this is the first legally binding international instruments on these issues and it recognizes violence against women as a violation of human rights and form of discrimination. The convention has been signed by all EU member states, but unfortunately only ratified by 21 of them. In fact, for instance, Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania and Slovakia have not ratified the convention and Poland is discussing since a while the possible exit from it. But nevertheless, this is something that of course we still have to work on. But now after the vote in the EP, the ball goes into the council court and two years ago, the European Court of Justice rule that the council can vote on uh, the accession by qualified majority so it doesn't require the unanimity and this is a very good sign because it gives hope to the European Union to access the convention because unfortunately we still have some hostility from various member states which were uh, already been expressed by several of them and this resistance for instance was seen as well during the vote in the European Parliament some MEPs from the far-right groups criticized the convention calling it a byproduct of the gender ideology But as we know from the podcast, and as you were also mentioning before, this concept is something invented by populist movements to oppose women's rights, LGBT community, and so on. So I would like to ask you, how do you perceive this kind of divided Europe? And by divided, I mean... We have the European Parliament that has approved the Istanbul Convention by a large majority that has done a lot for the LGBT plus community in one side. And then in the other side, we have strong populist radical movements that are strongly opposing to this progress, strongly opposing to fundamental rights and equality. Then what can we do to counter these movements in return? What do you think? That's a really interesting question and the latest development have been really interesting in the EU regarding this issue. I first think that the way toward the EU joining the Istanbul Convention is indeed a great news. This uh, will be a milestone, this will give the Union a first and solid legally binding instrument setting ground rules on gender equality, combating gender-based violence especially since the convention is uh, remarkably large in its scope and in its action. It's addressing a lot of issues that are not always addressed in national legislation in member states. I'm here thinking about female genital mutilation, for example, which is specifically addressed in the convention. However, and that's a little bit of the downside, I have been watching a little bit the debates in the European Parliament preceding the adoption and the vote on the Istanbul Convention. And sadly, some words that have been said by members of the European Parliament, I think they do not represent the values of the Union at all. You had a lot of members of the European Parliament, especially on the far right, that were really, really aggressive in their talking. They made the connection, for example, between gender-based violence with religious belief or ethnicity, as well as some of them calling transgender women male perverts. Wow. The, yeah. 
the words do have a consequence in the real world, I believe, and I do think that hearing them in the European Parliament did have an impact on a lot of people. Absolutely. And if you come back to, to your point, to the division of the EU towards societal politics or identity politics, I think a division is clear with a particular progressive left that has been supporting individuals and parallel identities for some times now, and populist traditionalist right-wing movements who have seized the political opportunities by taking radical stands and, in my opinion, a little bit caricatural positions on these issues using increasingly incisive languages, particularly lately on the subject of the rights of LGBTQ plus people in Europe. We tend to see and to picture this division in geographical terms with a usual Western Europe that's rather progressive and Eastern Europe that's usually more traditionalist. Uh, and this division is partially true in my opinion. Uh, when we look, for example, a milestone, a really important uh, case law that was led by the commission in front of the Court of Justice of the EU in regards to Hungary's new law on LGBTQ people. This is really interesting. We see that this case law was historic, uh, with a record number of 15 member states joining the commission against Hungary. This has never happened before. And this case law is really insightful for, according to me, three main points. First, you can see that this is a strong step and shows that EU institutions, alongside some member states, are starting to embrace the idea of protecting LGBTQ plus rights when usually traditionally it was more issues related to identity to national politics to national policy to governments we didn't really want to discuss it because it was a little bit sensitive on the European level but uh, more largely to come back to a division it is true that out of those 15 member states almost all of them are western or nordic member states usually more progressive on these issues but we start to see that LGBTQ plus rights are also starting to be addressed by some countries more in the East. For the first time, Slovenia, for example, joined the case law on such an issue, and a lot of discussion were going about Czechia and whether they will join or not. And more largely, not only about this case law, Czechia and Estonia are said to legalize same-sex marriage in the coming month. So I do believe that there is still hope, there, there is a possible progress here, and that progress is slowly on its way, and that the division is not really geographic anymore, but rather ideologic, with, you know, far-right and extreme-rights movements that are indeed developing a rhetoric, a narrative, that is particularly harsh on LGBTQ plus people and the other spectrum of the political uh, arena that is rather supportive on these issues. And even in Western Europe, in champions of equality such as Sweden, you have far-right movements that go on TV and that just talk openly about how this is insane for drag queens to do reading to children and how women's rights are not really important. What's important is immigration and if we kick the immigrants then women's rights will be protected. I think that's really concerning. Indeed. Very, very interesting. But now we would like to, to hear you, Alba. What do you think about this topic? Well, I absolutely agree with Joris. I think that the fact that the EU joined the Istanbul Convention is great news. It is, in fact, a very important step to protect women. However, this division and the fact that some member states do not want to ratify it, it's so concerning. The rights of women and victims who have experienced physical or sexual violence cannot be put at risk for anti-gender ideology. I totally agree. But well, now, as you all know, we collected some questions through our social media to discuss it today with our guests. Let's hear the first one. Many people are not able or willing to recognize gender-based violence as a specific category of violence rooted in the patriarchal system. What do you argue about? In your opinion, how can we spread awareness about the causes and features of gender-based violence? 
Alba, would you like to answer? Um, yes. First of all, I would like to say that gender-based violence is a real and particular issue. This kind of violence is directed against someone because of their gender, and it tends to be related to violence against women because the majority of victims are indeed girls and women. This violence can be physical, psychological, or sexual. I think we can promote awareness by, again, fostering education on the issue and promoting discussions and reflections on the topic, encouraging mobilization, for instance. Besides, institutions, governments, national and regional authorities, as well as NGOs have a key role in helping consciousness and preventing gender-based violence and helping also victims. I completely agree and I think what is important to say and what you mentioned as well is the fact that there are different types of violence. We mm -hmm. unfortunately uh, witness them many times during our daily life. We are used to think that in general violence against women only relates to, you know, murder or sexual violence, but this is like the pin of the pyramid. I don't know if you know this image, but it's like the pyramid of violence, which of course at the top has feminicide and aggression, but then the lower you go, you have these smaller, but which are not small, aspects of violence, which can be catcalling, which can be unwanted touches in the street or on, on public transportation. And this is something that uh, we should address. And it's very important for me that you mentioned, and I guess it's something that we should remember. Exactly. But let's go on with a second question that we received. Let's hear it. My question is, what can men do to counter gender inequality? Yoris, what do you think about that? I think that's a really interesting question and a really important question as well on how we can act as men to contribute to the change. And I do understand that I have this discussion a lot with, with my friends, with my family, with the people around me. And, you know, it comes back all the time. For example, they say like, yes, there is discrimination and inequalities with women. But for example, men, they have a higher suicide rate and... Let's think about this. This is an inequality that is bad for men because men are dying from that. But why are men more likely, in my opinion, to kill themselves? Is because the, we live in a society that is ruled by patriarchy. And by definition, patriarchy assumes that men need to be strong. And therefore, they should not have any weaknesses. And that's the thing that also makes not be able to handle the weaknesses. And I do think that this situation is also something that we need to address. We need as men to recognize that being a woman in our society is way much more difficult than being a man. That's a fact. But we also need to realize that if we address the issue of gender inequalities and we try to solve them, it will help men as well in their lives to live in a safer society, in a more caring society, and in a better society overall. Absolutely. I, I really couldn't agree more. And I think men are also part of the problem of the, of the victims here. So we shouldn't forget that the gender inequality is looking to protect old people, no matter how they are identified or how they manage to or they decide to, to rule their lives. Absolutely. And as we were saying at the beginning of the episode, feminism is not gender specific, but is a mean to protect everyone. Totally, totally. But unfortunately, we have reached the end of this transmission. I know we could spend hours talking about this subject. So before we go, I want to thank our guests for being here today, Joris and Alba. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening to one more episode of The Student's Point of View. Until next time. This podcast was sponsored by the Institut d'Etudes Européennes of the Université Libre de Bruxelles, which we thank for the opportunity of this space. 